Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. I'm Andy Rao. Andy, this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Rather than rolling on any table, you have told me just a few minutes ago that you have a problem that is right in front of you that you wanted to talk about. So we're going to turn <laughs> this into the the GM therapy show, which I am always a fan of, and we're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, before, though, we had also talked about um, just getting back to it. Was it something we used to do a little bit? We would design um, D6 tables on air around okay. some sort of like ridiculous prompt. Um, so I think I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a prompt sort of right here on the spot. Okay. You ready All right. For this? I am nervously and excitedly <laughs> awaiting whatever you're about to say. Yeah. Okay. And I should say, I think this, this uh, podcast might be turning into the support Andy's like current <laughs> game podcast, which is, which is good because yeah. I need the support. This is, yeah, this is fun, fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for you to keep on <laughs> having to come, <laughs> come hat in hand with, please help me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, the table that I want to design on air, um, and we are going to see how this goes is I want a D six table of like horrifying things, uh, that you can get from livestock. So I'm thinking about oh, like, dear. like the, like the, the egg, you know, <laughs> the current egg crisis that's going on with chickens and stuff. Like, let's okay. think about a little bit more like fantasy. Like, like what are some, like, what are some things that you can get from like a farm, farm livestock? Okay. Be- I have to ask, cause I guess I don't follow the right news channels. What's yeah. going on with eggs right now? Oh, there's a, there's a, the avian flu is going around. Oh, um, okay. Yes. Yeah. So if you, if you don't buy eggs regularly you know, for whatever reason, um, egg prices have gone up like three times, three X what they used to be okay. beforehand just cause the avian flu comes right. And they have to sort of like, you know take out all the all the chickens and stuff so it's like it's sort of on my mind because we eat a lot of eggs in this household (laughs) (laughs) okay we we eat relatively few eggs so basically anytime we're pulling the eggs out of the kitchen we're out of the fridge we're checking like when the expiration date was yes yeah (laughs) does anyone in the house know if eggs expire and how long it takes them to expire yeah you're frantically googling (laughs) (laughs) right exactly um Okay. Well, so that's is, interesting. So you are specifically thinking of a sort of fantasy context. Yeah, I think a fantasy context because, like, um, otherwise it would be like I don't know, like milk from a cow, right? So, like, let's maybe think about like fantasy monsters, stuff that you can you can kind of get from them or collect. Other, yeah, collect that's maybe useful. So uh, why don't you, if you have anything in mind, why don't you throw an mm-hmm. example to help me get a good sense of where you're angling for here? Yeah. Okay. So this one might not make the table, um, but like I'm thinking about like owl bears, for example, like maybe okay. you could um, get like uh, owl bear feathers, something like that. Got it. Okay. So yeah. you're looking for interesting or weird stuff you can get from basically monsters that you kill. Is yeah. that the idea? Okay. Yeah. Kill or steal <laughs> or, or raise, raise as livestock. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. I mean, when you first mentioned this, livestock seem to play kind of a weirdly central role in, like, I guess the kind of the genre of creepy stuff that can happen. You know, mm-hmm. we are well past the point where most of us are living farming lives or whatever, but I would say it's still a moderate staple in horror literature that something going wrong with with livestock or with animals points to something truly bad that is happening, which is yeah. interesting to me. It's like a weird cultural memory of the days when we all were uh, growing up in a more agricultural <laughs> environment. Yes. Yeah, I'm thinking about the Stranger Things. I think it was like season two, you know, like all the, like all the pumpkins are rotting or something like that. And it's like, yeah. yes, of course, of course I would know what that looks like. Right? <laughs> like yeah. yeah. It's like, I have no context for like, yeah, what, what it would look like if it was going bad, but yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, so um, this is a table of D6 things that that you find in the, I guess, it, help me understand what this D6 table is. Yeah, let's give it a better title than, than what I've been saying. Maybe it's like D6 resources from monsters. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Okay. So I'm I'm always a fan of the idea that like the bones or some sort of remain from a creature gives you like a, a lesser version of whatever their defining power is. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, you know, what are some monsters with really unique defining power? So like Medusa sprang to mind. Mm-hmm. What would be like, so whatever. So you get the bone, the bone of a Medusa from a Medusa or something. Yeah. What would like a lesser version of its petrifying power be? Oh, that's really like interesting. Like if you, if you yeah. ground the bone up and mix it into a potion or something like that, what it, would it let you do a couple times? What if it gave you like a, like a, almost like a defensive thing, like a stone skin? Mm, right? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, like it, you know, like you can still move and everything, but like all of a sudden, yeah, you're, you can resist being stabbed. <laughs> yep. For okay. A bit. Yeah. All right. I like that. Okay. So I'm going to say just like Medusa bone. Um, yep. We'll leave it there. Along those lines, I started thinking about like, like dragons, right? Have all sorts of breath weapons. Like, what if sure. you had the dragon scale? Like, comes up a lot. Like, maybe like the blood. Like, what if you had like the tongue, the tongue of a dragon? Oh, interesting. Yeah, and like that, that itself could, I don't know, emanate some like the, the poison <laughs> that they breathe out or the fire. When dragons are using their tongues mm-hmm. in most fairy stories and a lot of fantasy tales. They're being eloquent deceiver types, right? Yeah. So what if a dragon tongue doesn't give you whatever fire breath or something, but Mm -hmm. it, um, I don't know, it lets you lie or twist, not lie maybe, but like twist the truth or Mm -hmm. basically gives you a plus 20 to your deception or persuasion skills or something like that. Oh, I like that too. Okay. Maybe there's like a a sub table. It's like the dragon tongue either allows you to breathe fire or... (laughs) right right you can lie real good (laughs) yeah okay and i'm trying to also imagine when someone is rolling on this table if you're like you're rolling on this table when the party is digging through like a wizard's evil Mm. wizard's yes like treasure vault or something like that yeah the wizard's wizard supply room yeah what what are some of the weirdest monsters you've seen in D &D? I mean, they're all sort of weird like i keep on i keep thinking about beholders which are just like such an iconic part of of sort of like the, the D style fantasy, but like those are weird, right? Like there's yeah. like nothing about that makes sense, right? They float, they have a bunch of eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like I think like the the eye stock of a beholder would be a pretty good thing to be able to find. <laughs> would that give you extra eyes or something if consumed or something? Yeah, I bet like if you had that, if you if you affix it to yourself, it adds like an extra eye. Right. Okay. So like if you have you have this eye stock, it's like maybe four feet long with the eyeball still on it, you can kind of like stick it on your shoulder. And it, yeah, it'll like yeah, grab on and hook into your your um your nervous system. <laughs> okay, that works. Yeah. yeah. All right. What are some other iconic uh, iconic D and D creatures? So I'm t- my mind is drawn to kind of the the goofy ones. Mm-hmm. So there's like the cloaker, which is oh. it's like a blanket that affixes itself to a cave ceiling and then like falls on you and wraps you up in it. Basically, <laughs> what what would the remains of that thing? give you if you uh ground it up and put in a potion can you like can you see this thing like the, cl- the cloaker it is it's like a physical thing it's like a big it's like a blanket <laughs> that just drops on you and grabs you right <laughs> that's 
That's so great. I don't know. Does it let you stretch or something? Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, stretch or maybe uh, slows your descent in some fashion. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, that's like probably the most practical, more practical thing. It basically gives you, you know, the equivalent of like a feather vol yeah, okay. spell or something like that. Um, okay. I'm gonna say I don't even know what part of the cloaker would this be. <laughs> the cloaker skin. You know, they don't look like they have a great amount of kind of internal structure to them. So I guess just a strip of its skin or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cloaker skin gives you like feather fall. That's good. I'm going to let's skip let's skip anything that's like obviously sentient and and nice, right? So no kobolds, no goblins, anything like For that. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Um what are some other good ones? There's like the is it the shambling mound? And that well that's a classic for sure. Yeah. The shambling mounds fun. I used one of those in a campaign that I ran a while ago and I really I really liked running that as a monster. Like yeah, it's just sort of a, a creepy thing to encounter in inside of a swamp. But like a you know, shambling mound um I can engulf a medium creature. Like I wonder if that's just like a <laughs> it it adds a nice flavor to a salad or something like that. Like it doesn't have to be. <laughs> that's that's kind of wonderfully nasty, but yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay, that works. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of different creatures like the phase spider and the displacer beast that mm-hmm. sort of the creatures that exist in or can flit between different kind of states of different dimensions or sort of states of being mm-hmm. what's a sort of Ooh. like minor effect that you might gain related to that that's cool like a displacer beast like a whisker from a displacer beast right right yeah i like the idea of maybe only part of you being able to to blink blink or otherwise huh. go. yeah it's so like if you have the whisker like whatever that whisker is touching like you have i don't know it's like a one foot you know cube that can that can blink <laughs> in some fashion. So, like, if you're holding it in your hand, your like arm and hand appear like you know five feet off from to the yes. side from where you are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, sort of like a, a, a mage hand style thing, but it's like actually your arm. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Okay, we got to have that. Okay. All right. Um, how many items on our list do we have? That, so far? Are, that is our six. I like. That. Oh, there's six. Okay. Can you read them off for us then? Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So the the D six table for let's let's yeah. I like the the wizard supply room idea. So there's a D six table of things you could find in a wizard supply room. So there's a Medusa bone, a dragon tongue, the eye stock of a beholder, a piece of cloaker skin. Which that's just gross. Uh, <laughs> it, it really is gross. I'm I'm deeply regretting bringing <laughs> yes, that up. Yeah. But carry, yeah. press on. Yeah. Um. A, a piece of a shambling mound or a displacer beast whisker. I think those are all pretty good. Like, yeah, so we had, uh, you know, a couple things that those could do um, as well, but I think we could leave that up to the, the GM for like, what are you, what are you going to do with this part of the Displacer Beast Whisker? <laughs> yeah. I like that. And that could work as like a, what weird magic item does your character start with in a one shot or yes. something like that? To, oh, totally. Yeah. Yep. All really good stuff. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for making that table with me. <laughs> those are always fun to do. You all right. So Andy, um, you, you said that you had a problem. Let's, let's try to discuss it. Yeah. So you know, normally we'd roll on our table of uh, topics here to talk about what we're going to talk about. And um, I guess here's the problem I've got, and I'm going to use a term and then quickly qualify it okay. in case it alarms you. But how do you deal with the game with GM or gamer like ADHD? Hmm, okay. And I, I say ADHD deliberately. So just, you know, full disclosure, I have 
that's a that's a diagnosis I have. It's something I mm-hmm. experience. So I say it with intentionality, but by it I mean I'm describing something that I think that I'm hoping affects most GMs, which is that you can be in the middle of a great rewarding campaign and your eye starts to drift to the next shiny object on your gaming shelf. So you might also think of it as sort of shiny object syndrome or something. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, here's the real, here's the real situation I'm in right now. You know, I'm like five sessions into a really rewarding call of Cthulhu game. Mm -hmm. And my, I'm starting to eye the other games on my shelf and thinking, wouldn't it be fun to run that Mm. instead? And the more I indulge that uh, thinking, the the less enthused I feel about running the really rewarding, perfectly good, enjoyable Call of Cthulhu game I have going right now. Hmm. So I guess let me start by saying, is this something you can relate to at all, Chris? Or this is not, or this is an alien concept to you? <laughs> no, I can relate a little bit. Um, I am wondering right so this is if if i'm remembering correctly this is the first like longer campaign you've taken on in a while is that yeah. true yep yeah this is the first like non like you don't you don't have sort of like a beginning middle and end already planned out necessarily for it yeah right campaign. yeah i, like, I kind of wonder if some of it is i'm gonna excuse your excuse your behavior for yourself but yeah like i'm wondering if some of it is just like the like oh this is going great and now your mind's sort of thinking about like oh here's all the other stuff that i can I can I can now run like now that I'm proving to myself that I can do this this longer campaign again. <laughs> I think you're totally right here because that is where my mind is going. It's going to some of those sort of like quote white whale type mm-hmm. ideas like yeah. Well, if I'm running this Cthulhu game okay, like instead of this Cthulhu, maybe I should have started us on this other like white whale project I have. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So. I think like, so I can identify with this and part of I think that's part of the reason why I'm drawn so much more to like one shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. right now um just whenever whenever i get a chance to actually run games it's just because it's like the the thought of getting tied into a multi-year campaign when there's like so many other games to try right is a little little scary even though i know that's a rewarding experience to run run something and to play in something you know for that like over the course of a you know a couple of years or whatever it is you know many sessions to play you know play one game like that really get to kind of know it and and all that sort of stuff like knowing that intellectually is very different from the emotional feel of like okay like but i mean there's this you know it's fun to learn a new game it's fun to to think through how you might tell tell a new story at the table um and all that right so i, I do identify it on that level although you know i do not have adhd yeah myself you know i mean gms invest on average i would say just more time more mental time mm-hmm. into the campaigns we're running if my players devote three hours once a week to this campaign mm-hmm. it's gonna be a while before they feel like they've been simmering in this campaign for maybe too long and they're ready for something yeah. else but like in between those three hour weekly sessions i the gm you know have probably spent i don't know 15 hours thinking about it or planning about it or just mm-hmm. having it having it simmer in the back of my mind and so part of me feels like i've been in this setting forever yeah. You know, I mean in in real time it's been like 6 weeks. Yeah. But I feel like I've been thinking about and exploring all of the corners of this campaign in this setting for a very long time already and I'm almost ready to move on. But my players are absolutely not because they're having a blast right where they are. 
Yeah. Like, have you ever experienced that discrepancy? Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I, I haven't thought about it in that way. Yeah, that, just the pure amount of time <laughs> that you've spent spent thinking about it, like that asymmetry is going to come out of the table. Like you know, so part of that is like you gotta you need to do that in order to help help guide the story a little bit, right? Whatever yeah. whatever that means for you you at the table um, and to be prepared for um, what they might do. Right. And I think there's, even if, even if you are a improv GM, right. Like all you do is improv. My guess is you're still spending a ton of your time. And this, we've, we've talked about this concept of GM brain quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, you just spend a lot of time thinking about like how to make things gameable. Right. And like how, yep. how you present it at the table. And I think because of that, like you might jump to the conclusion of like, Oh, this is like, you know, not jump to the conclusion, but to sort of figure it out before someone who's not thinking about it all the time might yeah. figure it out. Right. So like for you, the experience of thinking through maybe like a scenario, it's like you can, you can come up with a hundred different ways to go through it um, much faster just because you have those muscles sort of built up, mm-hmm. <laughs> built sure. up versus yeah, what your players, players are having. But yeah, I mean, I've definitely experienced that too, where like you're, you sometimes you're running a session and it's just like, it feels like it's going really slowly because you have thought through it. But for the people yeah. experiencing at the table, it's like, you know, this is, you know, it might be fast paced for them. Right. right. Like, and it's the might, first yeah. time they're like confronting these ideas, whereas you've mm-hmm. you've thought about them from many different angles already. Yes. Yeah. Because you want to be kind of you want to be ready for it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's definitely like that. Um, and we've talked about pacing quite a bit on this podcast in the past. It's, it's interesting to think about that just from like a, a pacing of your enjoyment of the material, right? Because you're like, it'd, it'd be different if you were getting paid for this or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sure. Yeah. Then it's like, well, I mean, I got to put it, put in the hours because it's you know part of the job, right? Clock in and clock out. Yeah. If you're just playing something for fun, I mean, absolutely. I think it's a totally normal thing to be like, I'm getting a little bored of this. Maybe there's something else we can do. Yeah. All right. Right. Unless you're committed to the game that you're playing and, and the way in which you're playing it. So I guess maybe that's the question I have for you. It's like, what have you committed to in telling this story in the game that you're playing? Can you clarify your question a little bit yeah. more? Yeah. Like, so when I'm saying committed, what I'm trying to get at is like, so you as the GM, like what have you presented or agreed to, to actually run this game? Are you, did you say like, I'm going to run this just until it's, until it's done? Or did you say like, we're, we're going to tell this story to this kind of completion? That's an interesting question, and my answer might not be applicable to a lot of GMs. But my motivation here was basically, I enjoy role-playing with my family. Okay. So we are going to devote a certain amount of time each week to just meeting together and Mm role-playing. The particular incarnation of role-playing that like hits where the the Venn diagram is the greatest, whatever, the match is the greatest between all the different people involved is Call of Cthulhu. Mm Mm-hmm. So the goal is basically we all kind of enjoy this stuff, but the more than the genre or the topic we're exploring, we enjoy spending this time together in sort of a semi-structured game environment. Mm-hmm. I do have a potentially very long st- campaign that lies in front of us. I've been working really hard because I know I'm so familiar with that GM trap of like getting really... Um, absorbed with the idea of like a grand epic campaign yeah and then the pursuit of that in the pursuit of that you somehow manage to not stick the landing on just the week to week fundamentals of making each game feel fun and rewarding so Mm -hmm. i've been working overtime i've been working my brain overtime to try to like like it's okay if i'm set if i'm laying the groundwork for a longer campaign but don't 
Don't commit yourself to that longer campaign. Let it build out of these week-to-week sessions in like an organic way instead of attempting, setting myself up for like a jamming goal that I'll fall short of. I think you're super wise to do that. Like, yeah, because it's, it is rare in my experience for the last session to sort of be the thing that you remember for the rest of ever, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you really remember the little moments or it'll be those small character moments where you've sort of unlocked like, oh, like now I get the person that I was playing. Those sorts of things, like that's what sticks with people more than anything. And those only happen in the week to week, you yeah. know, like nailing those. I'm just going to take a small digression. Like this really reminds me of, and this is, this is almost purely for John Corey. So John, if you're listening, <laughs> John and I both play Slay the Spire. This is a video game yeah. quite a bit. Um, and there, uh, once you get into that game more and more, you start to realize like what you're actually trying to do um, in that game. And like, it, there is a tendency when you first pick up this game, it's a, it's a roguelike where you're, you're building, it's like a card, a deck based roguelike that, you can forget that if that doesn't mean anything to you, but <laughs> right. the, there's a tendency in that game to be planning for like the final, the final battle. I think when you first pick up, first pick up the game, you're like, Oh, like I need to be ready for this, this last thing that's going to happen in the game. If everything goes perfectly, I'll get to that like end boss and I'll be able to beat it because I have this perfect deck that I've constructed from, from the first thing. But um, as I'm getting into it more and more and watching and kind of like reading, reading various like YouTubers explanations about how to get good, <laughs> get good uh-huh. at the game. They really hammer home. Like you, you need to plan for that, but you also need to just sort of like plan for sort of the next fight that you're in. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, don't be afraid to use your resources. Don't be afraid to sort of tune your deck towards the next thing that's coming. Uh, right. And like, I think about that a lot in terms of GMing as well. It's like, yeah, there is that like, yes, of course you want to stick this grand finale, this like amazing epic story moment where you bring in all these different pieces and stuff that you've been setting up in the whole game. But like, they're going to remember the weird NPC they met in session three. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's, that's the sort of stuff like, yeah, you, you got to hit those, those little moments as you're going, uh, going through the campaign, you got to give them chances to show off, you know, like who their character is and, and really like, yeah, grapple, grapple with those sorts of things as well. Interesting and relevant. I've also played Slay the Spire and mm-hmm. that's a lesson I struggled to learn. So here's a different way of spinning this question. I envy the look in players' eyes when they are introduced to, when they're exploring the adventure in the game and they're bumping into these encounters and challenges and stuff for the first time. And they're, you can see their brains spinning as they try to, figure the way around your obstacles that you've put in their path. I envy that experience of, I guess, newness and adventure. And wow, here's this brand new challenge for us to get around. Do you, and how do you capture that feeling as the GM, that feeling of like being delighted and surprised by what happens at a game session that you've maybe spent hours laboriously planning for? That's tricky. Cause I think the way that I tend to run games, I feel like I, I, when I walk into a game session, it is nice for me to feel like I'm in control of what's going to happen because yeah. I like that personally. But every time that those expectations are subverted, I'm usually delighted because it's like, I wouldn't have thought about that, right? Like that's that's phenomenal. Like I love that. Like let's, let's go with that. And I think it's the, I mean, it goes back to that concept of being a fan of the um fan of the characters or a fan of the players i'm not mm. sure if sure which you should probably be a fan of the players and the characters but like yeah being being sort of like their cheerleader too and like being okay with the solution that they come up with even if it's not optimal as far as your your story is concerned 
necessarily. Um, like to me, I find great delight in that. And so part of that means like maybe not planning out the solution as well. Mm, again, yep. we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, you know, over different episodes and stuff of like, yeah, you, you can present the problem and sort of trust player, um, player cleverness to find the solution. You don't, you don't have to come in with like, okay, well, here's the three possible solutions. You know, they have to pick one of these. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, so like the, the one shot I ran on the podcast uh, back in December, you know, a month or so ago, there is one part of that, that session where the notes really did just say like, whatever they decide to do, you know, like reward it as long as it's not um, like them just sort of giving up. Right. Like right. Re- yep. reward their cleverness in some way. And what came out of that was like me presenting the situation and then just sort of waiting to see what happened. And what happened was my favorite part of the session. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yep. yeah. So like, I mean, you can, you can probably engineer that. I'm sure there's a limit at which you can't like a limit at which the players sort of want you to present them with a few potential solutions, but I yeah. think leaving it open a little bit more than what we as GMs might naturally sort of lean towards is, is probably going to be where you're going to find your most joy out of the session. The thing that springs to mind as you were as you were describing that experience, Chris, is like the difference between making a great presentation about like a book to your book group, book group, mm-hmm. or having a great list of discussion questions for your book group. Yeah. You know, like yeah. in the one model, you spend a lot of time, and I guess you get some satisfaction from delivering your presentation well and seeing that your audience was interested and inspired by it. But how much more fun for you when rather than doing all that preparation, you just showed up with a list of questions that prompted a great discussion that you yourself benefited from as much as the uh, other participants, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, like in, in some ways, that's sort of the, the thesis of our, our podcast here too, right? Like having these tables where we're not quite sure what we're going to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And deliberately putting ourselves in the situation where we can't prepare right? Just sort of see what comes out. Like, and sometimes I mean, like, you know, we'll, we'll be honest, like we've, we've thrown away podcast episodes because it was like, clearly this was not working, Yeah, <laughs> you know, when yeah. we're talking about it, but for the most part, it is, it's always surprising to me. Yeah. And I mean, I think like a, a well-researched version of this podcast, just like a well-researched version of your, your, your book club sort of discussion topics. It's like, it is what it is. It's, I think it's not what we're interested in yeah. as, as GMs, right? Like I'm sure there are some GMs who that is what they love, but that's not, not necessarily where I find the most joy. <laughs> So I guess I'm going to try to do my prep in a way that is most likely to evoke that kind of thing, which is to say, I'll be more delighted by a player response if I haven't spent too much time imagining what the player response is going yeah. to be, you know? Yeah. Can I go, uh, I want to go back to sort of your original question about like looking at your your gaming shelf and being like, oh, that would be an interesting, <laughs> interesting game to run. I think the the fear that maybe I'm reading into this is that if you switch to a different game, maybe the thing the reason why you're playing this particular like gaming group might fall apart yeah right so, totally. so yep. yeah yeah like so you have call of cthulhu it's like this is this is going well and there's that that fear of like if i tinker with this too much they're not going to want to deal with the mechanical rules of combat and twilight <laughs> twilight 2000 right yeah. right yeah um yeah so i mean i guess like what have you sensed is there you know you're five sessions in have you sensed that like the group is ready to move on I have not. I mean, okay. they're just throughout the week I get looking forward to Cthulhu. So this is entirely a problem that's coming from my brain, you know, <laughs> yeah. like that's, you know, that's part of the way, reason I bring it up here. You know, it's like I, in some way I am sabotaging myself and yeah. I am aware of this and I want to stop it, but, but it's hard, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. 
No, I mean, I, yeah, I get it. It's like, I mean, this is the same reason I have four or five books currently being read at the same time. Right? It's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, this is, I might as well just add another one. <laughs> there, right? right, right. Yeah. So when you do have a couple of books together, I mean, is there anything you can do to st- to stop that and to get back the focus that brought you joy in the first place? Um, no, <laughs> usually, <laughs> usually, yeah. Usually what happens is like, you know, I'll finally hit a point and reading's been tough for me for the past few years for, for a couple of reasons, but like, yeah, I'll usually, if when that scenario is happening, I'll, I'll usually hit a point where like one of the books, I hit a point where I'm like, I have to finish this, right? Either because it's a really good book or I just need to, need to move it out of the queue because it's keeping me from, from enjoying reading, yes. reading in other ways. And I think maybe like, maybe that's the takeaway is like, you might hit a point in this Cthulhu game. Like you might prep some of the other stuff, but you might hit a point in this Cthulhu game where you're like, no, this is the one we got to take it to this, this, yeah. this point. Right. And I think that's, that's what you should be looking for before you, you switch by all means, prep stuff, read stuff. Like, I think that's totally fine. You know, you might end up being like, actually, I didn't really want to run this. What I wanted is just this element and I can bring it in, bring it to the game. But like, you might hit that point in your Cthulhu game where you're just like, okay, like now we see where this is heading. Like, mm. let's take it to completion. And then hopefully we can pick up the next thing after (laughs) you know so the thing i've been trying to avoid is setting as my goal this unrealistic like you know two-year epic campaign Mm -hmm. legendary rpg campaign that will never happen right yeah but maybe maybe some smaller like milestones would be good Hmm. to set like yeah you know, maybe my goal is not to run weekly Call of Cthulhu for two years, but maybe it is to, in four months, get to get to the certain milestone in the story. And then mm-hmm. that could be a jumping off point, but it, it might, but maybe the energy of getting to that milestone might build up enthusiasm for reaching the next milestone after that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean think so. Like, I mean, you know, you're going to know your brain chemistry better than better than I will. Yeah, um, you know, I'm sure some of our listeners who like might have a, an ADHD diagnosis as well might have some some more concrete <laughs> concrete things to tell you. But like, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely something to that. Like, you know, find the way to reward yourself and whatever that that is. You know, and hmm. we're making the games up anyway, right? So like, go ahead and, and give yeah. yourself milestones if you need to. Like, you know, like the Castlevania setup for this is you know collecting all the various parts of Dracula. It's like those are some really good milestones to have. Hmm. have in front of you it's like oh i gotta get the heart and i gotta get the the fang i gotta get like you know all these things collected and then i can go beat dracula you could have those milestones built into your call of cthulhu game i don't know exactly what what the story is right but you could have some of those like we need to get x y and z to go do whatever right like to go complete our goal yeah and like if you hit those milestones and it's like we're not interested in getting y like or you know like we're not interested in doing that last one fast forward to the end or you know, come up with something else, right? Like there's, yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. Okay. To um, end campaigns without the big epic thing yeah. as well. And I'm not telling you to end your campaign. Cause I think it's delightful. Yeah. You should go, you should ride that as long as it'll go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't plan to end it, you know? And if, you know, I don't mean to overstate it either, you know, but um, this is a time when I'm seeing, I'm seeing my, I'm feeling my eyes start to stray and it's mm-hmm. like, I need a little help, like stay focused on the goal, which in this case is probably just hit a milestone of, mm-hmm. for me, the milestone is going to be wrap up all of the stuff they're doing in the city of New York, mm. which is a couple of months worth of play, I think. Yeah. And then if like, we're all gung ho, then great. We're moving on to the next stage, England, 
Yeah, I will say that I know I know for a fact that a, a lot of the listeners are very jealous of what you have right now too. Huh. <laughs> you know, they, that's that's a terrible reason to do something, right? Is like someone else's jealousy. But like, I mean, you you're getting to like do this very cool thing of running a game for your family and they're enthused about it. Like, that's awesome. Even if it ended, you know, like right now, it's like that is that yeah. is a huge success. Like carry that for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I need to respect that. Do you Chris, do you have this experience with video games at all? Like I, I do this with video games as well, by the way. I get mm-hmm. like, you know, sixty hours into Elden Ring. Yeah. And then with completion of the game on the horizon, I'm like, Yeah, hey, look at this other game I've <laughs> yes. this other game I've got here. Like I could just yep. reinstall this other game I've I guess I haven't been interested enough in to play until now, but suddenly it looks <laughs> no. appealing. I guess. Yeah, now that I'm into it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think we actually, you and I stopped almost at the exact boss in Elden yes, Ring. We so. did. I know. <laughs> Elden Ring hangs like a, whatever, a sort of, I don't know what the metaphor is here. Yeah, but a, a sort of Damocles. Big, like... unfinished, like, sort of. You almost made it sort of Damocles over my, uh, yeah. Over my... <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's wrap it up. I mean, I guess do you yep. have any other kind of like last parting thoughts or last questions. No, this is really helpful. I think what I'm pulling out of this conversation is going to be just trying to interrogate what I enjoy out of these sessions and mm-hmm. planning in a way that I'm likely to enjoy it as much as the players do. That feels mm-hmm. That feels big to me. Yeah. And then I also like the idea of, you know, letting go of that, um, letting go of super long-term stuff and like aiming at a milestone. All that to say, I mean, I'm having a great time. Campaign is going well. I'm, a, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm running it again tonight. Yeah. It's going to be fun. You know, I don't, I hope this conversation hasn't come across as me harumphing about something that <laughs> is really fun for me to do, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I did want to check in the, um, I think it was the last episode we chatted a little bit about like you had, you were a little fearful that they were going to get stuck. Do you feel like you've gotten past that? So we did get past that and they didn't really get stuck. Ooh. And uh, here's the thing. I don't really know why it worked. Like, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe this is, <laughs> well, this is good. This is, yeah. uh, this is, you know, not good jamming advice, but you know, it kind of worked out. Okay. So, I was worried they would get stuck with a particular scene and I was glad that I had a backup plan for if they got stuck, but they didn't really get stuck. And so I had just incorrectly guessed that it would stump them. You know, <laughs> it's a classic GM thing, right? The stuff that like seems really easy to you, it completely trips up players and blows up the session. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff you thought was going to be hard, they blow through instantly you know, so yes. I mean, ultimately in that session, so I did find our conversation about it really useful. And I did have an NPC that was kind of waiting in the wings to mm-hmm. offer a few, maybe not very subtle, but whatever, um, mm-hmm. clues to get things going. But as it turned out, the players were, they had been paying attention more than I thought they had been paying attention. And nice. I guess, so it all worked out. Either paying attention or they secretly listen to the podcast and didn't tell well, you. That could also be the case. Yes. yes. Although I, <laughs> I really don't think my teenager is making it through these podcast episodes, no, but I could, probably. I could be wrong. I'd be delighted to be wrong about that. But. Yeah, that'd be great. That's something they will not tell you until um, they're much older. <laughs> right, right, for <laughs> so, sure. Yeah. You guys listen to each episode, right? what did you guys think of that last episode? That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was great. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Um, so Roll for Topic is part of the Roll for It Media Podcasting Network. Um, our sister show, The Splat Book with John Corey and Kyle Latino um, is continuing their Appendix N 
series of episodes. Um, and Andy, you were on the most recent episode. I was, yes. Yeah, uh, what were we you, discussed. What were you about? Uh, we discussed Stephen King's The Gunslinger, mm-hmm. and yeah. so we walked through that story and we made periodic shout outs to kind of uh, game and RPG related concerns and questions that it prompts. Yeah, it's super great. fun. Um, it is. Yeah, it's a delightful show. And I know you probably enjoy just being a guest, just kind of sit back and, <laughs> and just respond rather than having to. <laughs> those having to two, run it. man, being in a conversation with those two is a truly exhilarating experience because yes. they're so smart and so sharp. So, yeah, yes, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I've listened to uh, a chunk of that episode. I got really like, I've not read the gunslinger um kyle says something in that in that podcast episode he directs it at me and he knows exactly what he was doing but he says something in that episode that made me want to hit pause and go read the gunslinger immediately. <laughs> yes. so, there you go um yeah so yeah go check him out at the splatbook.com um yeah anything any other last thoughts before we say goodbye um just a advanced warning for you chris next episode i'm going to start poking you about your 2023 uh gming plans so, oh yeah you know, and i yeah. will i will have something to say about that then hopefully good <laughs> that's awesome i look forward to it so cool. all right yeah well i've been chris salzman i've been andy Rao. remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm 